The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Will you take a moment with me and let me pray uh, for us and for you and with you. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for a unique hour in the course of our week. Lord, we pray that this time to pause, to let our hearts rest, to seek after peace and truth would be a breath of fresh air in the midst of the chaos that often surrounds us. We pray, God, that your word would be spoken in this place and that where we have uh, often had confusion, where we've lived in chaos, that you would bring clarity and hope. God, we pray and we stand with our brothers and sisters, our Jewish brothers and sisters specifically all across the globe. We stand with our Jewish brothers and sisters at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, and we pray that as they mourn, that you would bring hope and peace to each and every family in that community. Lord, we pray that in the midst of all of what is happening, that you would equip us uniquely as a church to be your people, to be your hands and feet, a people of love that oppose hate at every opportunity that oppose anti-Semitism and white supremacy and every dark force that exists in this world, that you would call us uniquely to be your people of peace and shalom and love, and that we could demonstrate the kind of love that you taught us as you walked the earth. Lord, give us that hope and clarity as a community, as a people, and for the church globally as we worship you together today. We pray all of these prayers together as a family, and we pray them in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia on the west side. It is such a great thing for me to be with you. Um, Our schedule is so much more complicated uh, these days as we, Sean and I both, and our teaching team moves around, and uh, and it's exposed as soon as I hit a, a place Uh, where I get a bit tired or weary. So I was supposed to preach for you two weekends ago. And uh, in the midst of hosting an event that we were caring for many uh, that suffered after the floods, we had our friend Dan Allender in. Then I was hosting an event for pastors that are struggling with depression. I spent a few days just getting to love and encourage people that are in a similar place to me that have a really difficult job and are often struggling with it. And uh, about the middle of that week, there was a bunch of other things going on. I was supposed to preach for you on Sunday. And about Wednesday, I went, I, went, I got to tap out. Like, I don't think I'm going to be ready uh, to preach for you. Gratefully, we got a great team. And Wayne, who is, I'd like to say he's new to our team. He's really old to our team. And he's come back to serve. Uh, did a fabulous job. And I was supposed to preach this sermon for you two weeks ago. And uh, Sean and I, Sean initiated the series for you last week that's on this what we believe is a unique Christian view of hope. Um, And Sean introduced you to some of it. In fact, part of what Sean suggested to you, and it was great for me, I went and took a little bit of vacation, Lisa and I, uh, with some of our really good friends in the church and got a time of rest. And part of what Sean taught you last week, um, I was listening to the podcast just as I was heading out, and Sean told you that in an age of anxiety, that if you live with Christian hope, there's one particular thing you'll do a lot of or a lot better at. You remember what he told you? Sleep. You'll sleep really well. And maybe you're like me. If you wear one of these Fitbits, you can find out really quickly, like, if you love Jesus or not. Um, (laughs) 
You're like, do I really believe Jesus is Lord? Let's see how often I sleep. And I'm like, I apparently don't uh, as much as I thought I did. So I was going on this great vacation with amazing friends and had no responsibilities, right? And I actually decided on this trip, I was gonna really truly ignore email and text messages for a few days. And the first day I got there and I slept 11 hours and 53 minutes. <laughs> and uh, it, was, <laughs> it was amazing. I feel like a totally different human being. And uh, so literally it's like my cells have reconnected somehow. And, uh, and I feel like I'm much more hopeful. The message I would have told you, like I really want to hope, um, <laughs> two weeks ago, and now a little bit of rest, a little bit of clarity, a little bit of refreshment. And it's perfect because the reality is, um, for me, uh, even to teach on Christian hope, we started a deficit. Because the English word for hope implies uncertainty. It's like, I hope that you don't fall asleep during the sermon today. By the way, I got a rule, five of your sleep and I'm done, just so you know. That's my rule, I count to five, I wrap it up, period. Uh, we could be five minutes in, so it's on you if the sermon ends early. You know who you are. And you tell me you're narcoleptic, but I don't really believe it. So bring me a doctor's note, that's what I tell you. Um, the English word implies uncertainty, but the Christian theology of hope is actually the opposite. It implies certainty. It's this reality, it's this baseline belief that says, because what Jesus has done in the world, I believe that the trajectory of what God's doing in the world is to redeem and restore all things. And so even though we may have momentary struggles, we have this deep-seated belief that God's ark in history is to redeem and restore all things, and this is where it gets even better, just so you know this part, restore all things for all people. It's not just us, right? That was part of the tension earlier on. The Hebrews like, this sounds like a great story for us. And when Jesus came on the scene, he made clear, yeah, for you and through you for everyone. And so it's in those seasons that we go, okay, now what does that mean? What does it mean to be a part of the church as a people that believe that God is redeeming and restoring all things for all people? And so part of what I wanna invite you to consider today is, um, is an opportunity to view the world and your problems and the world's problems through a different lens. And so it's in that light, right, that I get to do things uh, like what I'll do this week on behalf of our church. Uh, in the midst of uh, so much chaos and confusion in the world about what we're to do, aren't you grateful that there are times and places that the Bible is just crystal clear? In fact, Sometimes I wish the Bible was just clear about more things, like every day it just woke up. This is what Chris is supposed to do today, and it's just in the Bible, and I could just do it. Um, it's not all that clear, but one of the things that's really clear in Scripture is how we're to treat foreigners or immigrants or people that are outside their land. It's just the Bible just says really clearly, like, you were once immigrants, and you were to treat immigrants as honored guests, um, that our care and focus for immigrants would be significant. So you could imagine... Uh, what's happening uh, for the church in Mexico right now as they've been overwhelmed uh, by immigrants that are fleeing their own countries. And so uh, this week we'll be responding as a church and I'll be traveling with a small team to Mexico and we're gonna be just assisting the local church in Mexico to say how do we care well for brothers and sisters that have real physical needs. So we're gonna begin our week in Chiapas if you would pray for us and I'm asking you to pray for us. 
Some of the trips we go on, we've had a lot of time and clarity to plan. This is one of those that's just like, this is what the church does. Uh, in Chiapas, there are about 17, 1800 people uh, that have left the migrant caravan. They've been invited through work with the government and local church to accept refugee status and migrant status in Mexico. Uh, Chiapas is not a place of wealth already, so they are establishing themselves in Chiapas and uh, the church is under resourced to care for them. So we're gonna be going in just providing the basics, um, formula and diapers and food and some of the things that are needed. So um, I wanna just invite you to pray. And in the midst of all the noise of what you hear this week, I wanna just center your heart in Christian hope and what the scriptures call us to do. And, um, and we're just called to be the church. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And every day we wake up and just go, what does that mean to be that? And if we have that much clarity, the world will be so much more beautiful. One of the reasons that I can preach this sermon with even more enthusiasm is that my time of rest uh, was with one of my dear friends who is one of the most faithful long-term Ecclesians around, uh, a dear brother named Joe Bullard. And I've asked you on a few occasions to pray for Joe. Uh, Joe has been in a difficult five-year battle with prostate cancer. Um, According to the doctors, there would be every reason for Joe to just be in a really, really bad place. And uh, in fact, this summer, as a part of a result of one of his cancer treatments, he had a massive stroke, was in the hospital for an extended period of time. The doctor said, you know, he, he literally couldn't raise his hand just to scratch his nose. And uh, our big goal for Joe is that Joe would one day be able to walk with a cane. And when I was on vacation with Joe last week, uh, we played uh, two complete rounds of golf together. And, uh, and when it, yeah, isn't that beautiful? And when a guy that wasn't supposed to be walking beats you in golf, you really know your game is, uh, is not where it should be. And uh, it's just such a gift and extreme heat to watch my brother live with this determination that he believes in his body and with his life that God is redeeming and restoring all things. And my hope today is that that message would be contagious uh, for you. And so I'm gonna invite you to read with me a passage that Sean uh, opened up for us last week in 1 Peter. Um, and before we get to the passage, this is what I want you to consider, is that maybe there's a place in your life, maybe it's historically, maybe it's in the present, maybe you can see it coming in the future, that you have this sense that you've given up on God's plan. Or maybe if God's got a great plan, you've at least come to the place like I have before where you just go, God's doing something awesome in the world, I'm just pretty sure he's not going to use me to do it. I'm just going to be left out of it. And what I want you to consider today is the possibility that when you think you've given up and where things look hopeless, that that's actually the place that God steps in the most and may end up doing something you could never fathom. If you go back in church history with me for a minute, can I give you a quick, short, recent church history lesson? If you go back to the 1950s, there was a lot of energy for many, many, many decades uh, being put into the church, sending missionaries to China. It was one of the primary things the church was up to. And they just said, what we got to do is we got to send missionaries to China. And we sent a lot of good missionaries. They went and served and they served faithfully. And about the 1950s, as things were changing radically in the government in China, China sent all the Western missionaries out of China. And if you were around the church, you read things that were written in that period of time, they said, well, it's hopeless now. This is the worst thing that could happen. All the missionaries are being kicked out of China. What's gonna happen to the church, right? And people thought this is the worst thing that you could ever imagine. And you know what happened in China after that? The Chinese Christians started leading 
They started leading effectively. They started house churches and they started doing things that were beautiful. People started coming to faith. You know what's happening today in China, Ecclesia? Today in China, there will be more Christians gathering to worship than in China, than all across the Western world in China. And so what we thought in the 1950s, that's worth clapping for, right? That's a God, that's a God thing. And that's where God shows up and goes, hey, your plans, my plans, my plans are better than your plans, right? And what we wanna do are be a people that say, maybe if we gave up on our plans and we opened our eyes to God's plan, maybe there'd be something much, much better around the corner. So what I wanna suggest to you is the same that was true in China for the church is true for you. It's true in your life and in your story. So I wanna ask you to consider that possibility in light of the scriptures we're gonna to read today. We're in 1 Peter chapter one. And this is what Peter says. He says, I'm Peter. I'm an emissary of Jesus the anointed. This is how you started an ancient letter. Doesn't this make a lot more sense than the way we write letters? Right? You gotta read the whole thing sometimes and you're like, that's not who I thought I was reading a letter from, right? Then you gotta reread it now that you know who it's from. Peter just, they start a letter going, I'm Peter and I represent Jesus. It's a pretty good way to start. You could send a letter and just say, I'm Chris. I'm whoever you are. I represent Jesus. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. He says that I'm writing to God's chosen people living as aliens, it's an important word, scattered among the unbelievers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now this may sound to you like it's just a simple introduction to a letter, but you need to know if you know the context of Peter and what was happening in the early church that what he's saying is actually really significant. He's saying, I'm writing to believers, they're scattered and they're living as aliens. Now remember, this is also the word used for foreigners, right? So they're living like foreigners in a different land. Now, one of the reasons this is really important is that Peter had often been an advocate for living a different way. Anybody remember in the beginning of the early church, there was a major conflict, a conflict between Peter and Paul, right? Paul was kind of significant, wrote, most of the New Testament, Jesus appeared to him, knocked him over, made him blind, said, I'm Jesus, you ought to follow me, right? And he's like, I guess I'm in then, right? I don't have a choice, I'm blind, I'll do what you say. And he devoted his life to it. And Paul started churches among non-Jewish people. He went to places where there were not Jews and he started churches. And Paul was saying, these people love Jesus and they're following Jesus. And Peter was saying what? He's, if you follow Jesus, you have to do what? He said the law, you gotta do all these things, right? Remember this one? What was that one? Circumcision, that's the sign language for circumcision, just so you <laughs> learn today. Actually, it's not, it's more graphic. You don't wanna know what the real sign is for it. Peter's saying you gotta circumcise, you gotta worship on the Sabbath, you gotta observe all the Jewish law. Paul's saying, no, you could be a Christian and just worship Jesus in your own way. You don't have to worship the way that the Jewish people worship, right? This was an amazing new idea. And Peter was saying, you've got to be wrong. Ultimately, God was on Paul's side. And Peter came around to say, I think that's right. And so part of what's reflected here is that Peter is saying the believers are living as aliens all across the globe, not as Jewish people. They're living as Christians in these places. Now, part of what we see in this and the beauty of it is that God's called us to live in the world. He's called you to work in the world. 
Maybe you grew up in a tradition that said, if you want to really be Christian, you need to, you know, not only go to church, you need to go to a Christian school and a Christian supermarket and live in a Christian neighborhood or whatever. I mean, and it just becomes, and part of that was this idea that like, if you go beyond that, it's dangerous. Those people are out to get you, right? Anybody else grow up in a church like that? Where it was like, it was so dangerous. They were like, the worst thing you could do is listen to rock music. Like that stuff is bad, right? Really bad. So there were whole seminars of people. And then not only was it so bad when you listened to it, some guy finally thought, this is even worse if you listen to it backwards, right? <laughs> I mean, just think about it. The first Christian guy to think of that, you know that guy was smoking weed, right? That's the only way that you even have that idea. Like, this is really scary. What if we listen to it backwards, what would it say? What, who even thinks of that, right? And so literally they have these symptoms, they just get you more scared. Hey, be scared because the world is a dangerous place. Hear this, Ecclesia, I want you to hear it as clearly as you possibly can. I'm gonna try to say it as clearly as I can. We're not a people of fear. We actually believe what the scriptures tell us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And I'm not afraid if you live in the world that the world is going to somehow infect you. In fact, it's just the opposite. We're the contagious ones. If you live a life that's devoted to Jesus, other people are gonna go, I wanna live like you. You're, you're unselfish. I don't know people that are unselfish. You don't seem to be obsessed with materialism the way I am. Your life doesn't seem to bank on your status in the world. And if you can live like that, other people go, I want to live like you. You don't go around and go, I want to live like somebody that devotes their life to themselves. That, it doesn't work that way. And so here this ecclesia, we're not a people of fear. We live in the world because we believe God's called us to the world. And Peter didn't know it at first, but he figured it out, hopefully like a lot of us. So he said, you're a people and you're scattered in the culture. And then he goes on in 1 Peter, he says, I'm sending this letter to those who have been selected and destined by God the Father and made holy by God the Spirit that you may be obedient to Jesus the anointed and purified by the sprinkling of his blood. May grace and peace beyond all reckoning be yours. Now that's a great prayer. And that, wouldn't it be great if you said, if I prayed for you, and I will right now, that by the time you leave, that a grace and a peace beyond all reckoning would be yours. You'd have a sense of grace and peace beyond what you could fathom. Wouldn't that be a gift? I'm gonna pray that for you. In fact, I'm gonna give you some advice from the scriptures that's gonna help you pursue that path. And, and Peter says, that's because of what God has done for you. You can rest in that. And he goes on, he says, blessed is God the Father of our Lord Jesus. You, you come. There we go. The anointed one, because he has raised Jesus the anointed from death. Through his great mercy, we have been reborn into a living hope. We've been reborn for an eternal inheritance held in reserve in heaven that will never fade or fail. Do you hear that? He's saying, because of what Jesus has done, we can live with this assurance. We can rest in it. And he's saying, that will never fail you. Everything else in this world will ultimately fail you. This is the one thing that won't fade. It won't fail. He keeps going. He says, through faith. God's power is standing watch, protecting you for a salvation that you will see completely at the end of things. So hear this, Ecclesia. This is what, part of what Peter is inviting us into. He's saying, this salvation of what God's doing, 
you need to be able to take a different view than the rest of the world. And this is what he's asking. He's saying essentially, will you adopt the long view? Will you lean into a place that you go, I think the arc of what God's doing is not necessarily affected by the problems I'm struggling with today. Because there will always be problems today. But ultimately, the plan that God is working requires us to take the long view. Now, part of what I want to suggest to you today is that that's difficult to do if you were obsessed with the here and now. So if you were focused so much on the here and now, and what you read and think about and focus on is all about the here and now, you're going to struggle. You're going to be depressed. In fact, part of what I want to suggest to you today is that if you were spending a lot of time following the political struggles that are happening in the world, if you spend more time watching and reading about politics and the election than you do reading the scripture and praying, you're going to be filled with anxiety, fear, and you're probably going to be difficult to live with. You're going to have some anger. You're going to have this, this sense of if, if you were focused more on that than you are the scriptures and prayer, guaranteed, I can just predict for you right now, you're going to live in a place of anxiety. So what I want to suggest to you this week, follow the election, follow whatever you want to follow, but put your focus first on the things that matter in the long view. Can I tell you a longer story than I would typically tell you in a sermon, but it's 11 o'clock and you don't have to be anywhere? If you really want to hear the short version of the sermon, come to the 9 a.m. I've got to finish it in time to get everybody in for the 11 a.m. And this connects maybe with a place where you can look back and feel like, if I don't feel like God's given up on the world, maybe he's at least given up on my um, involvement in what he's doing. Um, if you were around the church four or five years ago, uh, you may know I hit probably the most, one of the most difficult times in my life. Um, I was, had been on a walk with my kids, and while we were walking, uh, an SUV hit us while we were in the crosswalk. Guy was just texting. And uh, really, I mean, it could have been just devastating. Hit two of my kids and me, and, uh, and I rolled up the hood of this car, this SUV, and it fractured my hip. And, uh, and it initiated this season that I just didn't feel fully myself. I was on pain pills. I wasn't feeling good. Um, what I didn't know, if I'd never struggled with um, just constant chronic pain, is that when your body has chronic pain, your brain's just kind of firing based on that. And just the most basic things that I do, a lot of them are like stringing words together. I couldn't do. I just literally, I remember one day I was trying to write up a thing for our house. We were going to sell our house. And I was trying to write up a description about it. And I sat for hours trying to think of the word crown molding. I just couldn't think of it, right? I'm Googling like trim at top of wall. Um, I just couldn't, my brain couldn't find it, right? So you can imagine if I can't think of that word, I'd get up to preach and be like, ah, it just it wasn't there. And I felt like I was at, least, at best a C-minus pastor for Ecclesia, at best. And in the midst of that, one of the things you may know if you've been around our church very long, and if you haven't, I hope you will stick around. And one of the things you're going to find out is part of what makes us a unique church is that we are committed to our brothers and sisters across the globe. We, mean it's, we believe it's just part of being the church. And a big reason that we're able to do that and that you'll see in our financial statements that come up as you come in, that so much of the money that comes in flows out to those that need it across the globe is because I take a considerable amount of time to travel to those places, to share those stories with you and invite you to give and for our church to be a part. And this particular year, it was um, 
I knew I had to do that. That's part of being the pastor of Ecclesia. And so even though physically I didn't feel ready, I just decided I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And uh, this particular year we were raising money for Advent Conspiracy, our attempt to drill water wells in the name of Jesus for people across the globe. And we were, you're gonna be hearing more about in the coming weeks. And uh, we were beginning a partnership where we were gonna drill water wells in North Korea. And we actually were just in that part buying a water, uh, a drilling rig for a young Ecclesian who lives in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and inviting him to start a water ministry there. Which, by the way, I'll just give you a little side note. Um, we got a notification just a few weeks ago in a report that they have now drilled, all funded by Ecclesia, their 200th well in, uh, in Cambodia, which is just... Um, and they're working with local churches and bringing it in the name of Jesus. And I believed at that point it was really important that I get there and tell the story of what's going to happen so we could buy this drilling rig and we could help make this happen. So I booked my flights and I'm with our video team and we're flying over. And uh, I fly to San Francisco, then I get a long flight from San Francisco to Seoul, 16 hours. You can imagine um, when you're on the nonprofit budget, you buy the cheap seats and uh, we're in the cheap seats. I'd just broken my hip and I had a friend that had an upgrade. They gave me an upgrade, but you gotta apply it and it's like a lottery. You just wait to see if it happens, right? And I'm watching the list before we get on and I move up to number one. It's like I'm number one. And just before we, um, we board the plane, they call my name and it was literally like, oh, like just, I'm, I'm like, Jesus actually loves me. And, um, <laughs> And I get in my seat and I'm taking selfies and sending them to my family and I'm unpacking everything in this great seat, it'll lay flat. And I'm so happy. And uh, just before we take off, they come and say, hey, Mr. C, we're really sorry, but the guy that actually bought this seat, he's here now. And so <clears throat> we gave away your window seat. And so now you're in 14B, uh, you're in a middle seat. And so it literally, I, was, I went from Jesus loves me to Jesus hates me. <laughs> And I sat in this long flight, 16 hours, just painful, right? And I get to Seoul and we've got two days in Seoul. I'm traveling, by the way, with our video team and my sister-in-law, uh, who's North Korean. That's a whole nother story I'll tell you another time. And I get there and on the second day we're there, I'm, I'm, we're ready to fly to Cambodia and I realize like physically I can't do it. I just can't do it. And I turn to our guys and say, I'm gonna send you on without me. I just don't think, like the thought of sitting in that seat again, I'm, like I'm having a panic attack thinking about it. I can't do it. And at that moment, I gotta just tell you, I felt like I did not deserve to be the pastor of Ecclesia. I could not do the job. And for me, it was a low. And about five minutes after I canceled my flight to Cambodia, um, now part of what you ought to know is that I knew if I was gonna be in Seoul any longer, there was one place I wanted to visit. My dad was born in Tokyo, and his dad died in the first battle of the Korean War. And it was at a, the first battle of the Korean War was at a place called Osan, a village there. So I get a message on social media from this Korean pastor, and he said, hey, I'll just follow you on social media, and I just saw you're in Korea. Is there any chance you could come preach at my church this Sunday? And I said, well, I literally five minutes ago canceled my flight to Cambodia. So yes, I could come preach. Where is your church? How far is it from Seoul? And uh, he messages me back and says, I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Osan. It was a mile from where my grandfather died on a battlefield in that first battle. And uh, I'm trying to give you the short version, but there really is no short version. I show up to preach in Korea, they're serious. Like I thought we had to preach too many services. Seven services at this church, right? 
So I show up to preach the first one. It's like 7 a.m. And if you can imagine, I mean, it's surreal to stand in a place and be able to say, I'm a mile away from where my grandfather died in the first battle of the Korean War. And I've come back as a Christian leading a church in Houston. And we're here because we're going to raise money to drill water wells in North Korea for the people that killed my grandfather about a mile away. Now, only Why would you do that? Only Jesus, right? It's the only reason you would do that. And so in the midst of sharing that story and people were visibly overwhelmed by the beauty of it, this massive Korean man at the back of the church stands up in the room of my sermon and starts walking towards me and talking, right? And all I can think is like, they don't do this at Ecclesia. Like this doesn't happen. Like what is going on? And he's speaking in Korean and I have no idea what he's saying. And uh, I'm a little perturbed, actually, because you don't like having your sermon interrupted. And he gets to the front, and he said something, and I could hear the crowd just gasp. And the translator stops and explains to me that uh, most people know who this is. He was literally like Yao Ming tall. And, um, and they said most of us know who he is. He's a former Secretary of Defense for Korea, and he's explaining to the church that he was on his way to church this morning. And that when he was halfway to church, the Holy Spirit told told him to turn around and to go home and to get a medal that he's one of the few people authorized to present um, to family members of people who have given a family member in service to Korea. And so this massive Korean man wraps this medal around my neck, prays over me, blesses me, kisses me on the forehead, right? Because he was like up here. (laughs) And, uh, And we just, the whole, we just began to weep, right? And there was this sense over the course, and I had six more services to preach after this. And I just, I'd tell this story. And there was this sense in the midst of it that I thought if I can't get on a plane to Cambodia, I don't deserve to be the pastor of Ecclesia. Because I was convinced I knew God's plan. This was God's plan, that's what I was supposed to do. And God was just waiting for me to go, hey, are you open to my plan? Because I got a better plan. Now I'm convinced that God bumped me out of the front seat and I'm a little upset about that. I'm pissed, I'll be honest. I really, it's like, God, I you could have worked all this out and still let me lay flat. That would have worked out better. But God had a way of saying, I gotta bring you to the end of what you think you're up to, and let me tell you what I'm really up to. I just gotta tell you, Ecclesia, the same is true for you. And when we reach that place that we say, all right, God, take it. Take the wheel, whatever you want, I'm in. We're at a better place. That's what it means to adopt the long view. Peter goes on. So he says, that salvation you'll see completely at the end of things. And then he says, this is what you should do. You should greatly rejoice in what is waiting for you. He's saying, this plan that I have to redeem and restore all things for all people, that's worth celebrating. He says, even if now for a little while you have to suffer various trials. What's he saying? He's saying, what I want you to do is to come to worship every week, ready to rejoice and celebrate, even if right now you've got some problems that you're facing that seem overwhelming. He's saying, hey, those are just various trials. Those are small hardships. You will get through those. And the course of what I'm doing in the world is beautiful and good. And so Ecclesia, I gotta tell you, we're a people made to gather like this and to worship and to celebrate and to experience joy and to remind one another that we hold on to a joy that is a gift. One of the worst things that happens for me as a pastor of a church, and I gotta tell you, uh, Westside, you're better at this than our brothers and sisters downtown. But one of the hardest things that happens for me as a pastor is when uh, we're in a service and I see right about 11.30 
And I get it, you got kids and who knows what it is. And you march in. Because I literally, you come into the service at 1130, I think you're just here in time for the worst part of the service, right? You just got here in time to hear me. And you missed, like, Matt and the band lead us beautifully, beautiful melodies, beautiful songs. And I don't know exactly what you're going through this week, but I know enough to know that for you to put that aside and to exhale and to focus on Jesus and to sing some hymns of faith that have been sung, some of them for centuries, that that's one of the best things you could do. And so I want to invite you to say, will you make that a priority? Will you come a few minutes early, get your cup of coffee, have a seat, say a prayer, even grab your seat and turn to somebody around you and go, how are you doing? Can I pray for you in your worship today? Just connect with somebody and then be ready to experience God's joy. I want to read to you from Psalm 33. It's one of my favorite psalms. And then we're going to head towards communion. It's an invitation. It's a reminder of what that kind of worship ought to look like. And this is what the psalmist says. He says, the psalmist says, release your heart's joy and sweet music to the eternal. When the upright passionately sing glory-filled songs to him, everything is in its right place. Do you hear that? Isn't that beautifully said? The psalmist just says, it's as though everything is where it should be when you truly worship God with joy. Now, most of you get what that feels like. If you're a little bit OCD, you really know what that feels like, right? When everything's in its place, right? When I'm more OCD when I travel, because everything needs to have a place when you travel, right? So my key always goes in the same pouch in my bag. Everything goes. And then when I get on the plane and everything's where it is, I just, everything's in its right place, right? That's what it's supposed to feel like. When you come and worship Jesus, there's a sense of this is where I'm supposed to be right now preparing for my week. And this is a gift. And I don't want you to miss it. So he says, worship the eternal with your instruments, right? You don't have to be a great guitarist. You don't, maybe you just took a little piano, but get your instrument out and, and play and, and express your gratitude to God on a regular basis. Sing glory-filled songs to him. Everything is in its right place. Worship the eternal with your instruments, strings, offering their praise. Write all filled songs to him on the 10-stringed harp, right? If you've got a guitar, get it out and write. He says, awe-filled songs. Some of you are like, I can't write awe-filled songs, but I can write awful songs. Well, start there, right? Give it a try, start there, and see where it goes. But express yourself to God, and you find this sense of peace. He goes on and says, sing to him a new song. Play each the best way you can. And don't be afraid to be bold with your joyful feelings. For the word of the eternal is perfect and true. His actions are always faithful and right. He loves virtue and equity. The eternal's love fills the whole earth. That's what happens when we come to worship God. It's not that his love wasn't there before. It's that now we see it. We go, God is at work everywhere. And we're his hands and feet ready to respond and be with him in his work. He says the unfathomable cosmos came into being at the word of the eternal's imagination a solitary voice in endless darkness. The breath of his mouth whispered the sea of stars into existence. Isn't that beautiful? Can you picture it? God speaks and all the stars come into existence. He gathers every drop of every ocean as in a jar, securing the ocean depths as his watery treasures. This is one of my favorite poetic phrases in all the Psalms. Do you see, do you see what the psalmist is doing? 
He's giving us a sense of scale and magnitude of what, who God is and what he's up to. So find your place in it, right? So if you're, um, how many of you have been on a boat and you've been out in the water so far you can't see land, right? And in that place you begin to realize like, I am so, the oceans are so big, so vast, we'll never explore them all, I am so small, right? And the psalmist says this, he says, right? You're that small, the oceans are that big. And then he says, imagine the creator. He takes all the oceans and keeps them as though in a watery jar, right? He said, that's how vast and big our God is, right? Do you get the sense of scale of where we are? And it gives you the sense of awe and who God is and what he does. The psalmist goes on. So he says, let all people stand in awe of the eternal. Let every man, woman, and child live in wonder of him, for he spoke and all things came into being. A single command from his lips and all of creation obeyed and stood its ground. Right? Why is this important? Why do we hear it in the Psalms? We're getting this retelling of the creation narrative. We get it in John 1. We get it in the beginning of Genesis. I, part of what I'd tell you is just we need to know that our God's so powerful, he speaks all things into existence. But we also need to know, and that when we're in nature, we gotta appreciate it, right? Because God made it for us. But part of what it tells us about us in Genesis, right? We look in the story of Genesis in the creation narrative. He says, he created humankind, man and female, and he made them in his image. That he's, he's reminding us, and we're being reminded when we worship, that the God who made all things made us in his image. And you know what that means? That means God is a creator, and it means we are co-creators with God in his collaborative work in the world. I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, this is not the story that the world and the culture are telling you. The culture tells you, you exist to consume, you're consumers, right? You ever watch a cartoon with your kid? What, what's the primary message you get, commercial after commercial? Right? You exist to buy things. That's why you're here. I consume, therefore I am, right? And the scriptures say, no, you're actually a creator. You're here to collaborate with God and his redemptive work in the world. You're here to be a part of making all things right. And so when we worship, we're reminded who God made us to be and how we're to respond. He says, a single command from his lips and all of creation obeyed and stood its ground. The eternal peers down from heaven and watches all of humanity. He observes every soul from his divine resonance. He has formed every human heart, breathing life into every human spirit. He knows the deeds of each person inside and out. And then the psalmist ends with one central message and I want you to hear it. And he's asking, where do you think your salvation will come from? And for many of us, right? It's what we think, we think, well, if life really falls apart, right? It's what, what's your next thought, right? For many of us, well, my spouse will bail me out. Well, at least I have enough money. At least I got a great house. At least I got good kids, right? Whatever it is. We think these things will be our salvation. This is what the psalmist says. He says, um, a king is not delivered by his mighty army. Even the strongest warrior is not saved by his own strength. A horse is not the way to victory. It is, its great strength cannot rescue. He says, ultimately, no matter how much money, strength, power you have, it is God that rescues. It's God that's your salvation. So he says, listen, the eye of the eternal is, a, is upon those who live in awe of him, who hope in his steadfast love that he may save them from the darkness of the grave and be kept alive during the lean seasons. This is the story of Jesus, right? 
This is what Peter just told you. The reason you don't have to be afraid of death, the reason sickness shouldn't create havoc in your life is because we're no longer a people that fear sin and death because Jesus has conquered it. So he says, we live with hope and the eternal. We wait for him, for he is our divine help and impenetrable shield. Our hearts erupt with joy in him because we trust his holy name. O eternal, drench us with your endless love, even now as we wait for you. Will you pray that last line with me? O eternal, drench us with your endless love, even now as we wait for you. Lord God, we gather together in this place as a people praying this simple prayer that as we worship, as we read the scriptures, that we would be surrounded and overwhelmed by your love. And we believe, Lord, that your love has not come only to us, for us, but it's come to us so that we could share, that you could work through us, that we could share that love with all people, helping them find that sense of hope and certainty that you are renewing and restoring all things for all people. And today, God, we ask you to bless this bread. We believe, Lord, that it's a physical reminder to each of us that you lived out perfect love. And that perfect love casts out hate and fear. And so, Lord, in a world that's often filled with it, we want to lean into your love. We thank you as well for this cup, for this wine and juice, that says to each and every one of us that your posture towards us is one of love and grace and forgiveness. Lord, in your perfection, you could easily have come to judge us harshly. And instead, you came with grace and you move towards us now with grace. And so as we come to this table, God, we thank you for your patience with us, for your abiding and steadfast love, And we pray that as we move out into the things that you've called us to this week, that we would experience it, that we would share it. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.